Hear these words of Jesus from Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. You, you, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, you, all of you, you are the light of the world. No one, after lighting a lamp, hides it under a bushel basket. No, they put it on a lampstand where it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last Sunday, Pastor Renee introduced us to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we'll be focusing on a few excerpts from it throughout the month of February. The sermon begins with a series of blessings, blessings that we sang and heard in different ways last Sunday. Today, as we move a tiny bit further into the sermon, we hear Jesus' words about salt and light. Salt, light, powerful, everyday images meant to help Jesus' followers reflect on who they're called to be and how they are to interact with the world around them. These were very live issues for those who were gathered around Jesus to listen. While we often think of the Sermon on the Mount as a set of general ethical guidelines for Jesus' disciples to follow, its context suggests that it may also have been an intervention into a heated debate concerning the political and religious course that Israel was to steer. Bible commentator Edwin Van Driel notes that the immediate context for the debate is the occupation of Israel's land by the Roman Empire. The wider context is exile. The fact that Israel had been ruled and dominated by foreign empires ever since the Babylonian exile. That means for over 500 years. Even though at the time of Jesus, the people of Israel were living in their ancestral lands, their exile, in a sense, continued 
as they lived under the weight of Roman occupation and rule with their taxes, with their taxes going to support the regime that oppressed them and with the prophetic promise of divine kingship still unfulfilled. The situation of unending domination by foreign powers generated an array of, of anxious questions, uh, questions really about faith. How can it be that God's holy city and God's temple are occupied territory? What does this say about God, and, and what does this say about God's relationship with us? And how does God want us to respond? To this last question in particular, each of the different factions of first century Judaism had its own response. Sadducees lean toward realistic collaboration with the occupier. Zealots favored the idea of taking up weapons and fighting the empire. Pharisees were a divided house. Some favored the approach of the zealots. And some, realizing that they were no match for the vast military resources of the empire, directed their energies to the study of the Torah and to the preservation of the cultural and religious identity of their people. These differences in approaches were in themselves a source of tension within the Jewish community. I've been fascinated by these very different responses to adversity. Collaboration with the enemy, active resistance, and separation, withdrawal. And what's interesting to me is that these modes of response in many ways parallel modes of response to adversity within different streams of Anabaptism throughout the centuries. And that would be another subject for another time. But in the meantime, to this ongoing debate in Jesus' time, Jesus offers his own response to this question. How do we respond? His response is simply, you are salt and light. Curious words. They're not a clear set of instructions. They're metaphors to stir the imagination. First, the metaphor of salt. Salt was and continues to be used in a variety of ways for a variety of purposes. To season, to preserve, to heal and purify. To which of these characteristics is Jesus alluding? It's hard to say. Perhaps all of them. However, Given Jesus' statement about salt losing its flavor, which, by the way, salt actually cannot do, I'm drawn to the flavoring option. As Jesus tells his followers that they are salt, he suggests that they have been given capacity 
to add flavor. And that their calling is to engage with the world by infusing it with the flavor of God's kingdom here and now. In other words, they are called to live salted lives that elicit goodness in the world around them. Jesus then moves on to a second metaphor, light. What is the purpose of light? One of the functions of light is to provide energy for life through photosynthesis. Another function of life is to reveal what cannot be seen. Most mornings of the week find Brenda Turner and me out walking before dawn while the stars are still hanging in the sky. It is a lovely time of the day. But lately, I have taken to carrying a flashlight to light our path so that we can stay clear of icy paths because neither one of us want to fall and so that vehicles can see and stay clear of us. Because the light lets things be seen, it helps us stay safe. However, the revealing power of light is not always comfortable, especially when it reveals things that we'd rather not see, things that want to remain hidden. When I am reminded of that uncomfortable truth, I am reminded of the words of one of my seminary professors, a seminary professor of worship, Marlene Krupp, as she spoke about the importance of confession. She said something like this, that only that which has been unburied and brought into God's light can be healed. In this morning's text from Matthew, Jesus tells his followers that they are light of the world. Now, I'm going to be really honest here. I find these words to be confusing and maybe even a little dangerous. I actually thought that Jesus was the light of the world. In fact, we hear affirmations over and over again in the Gospel of John that Jesus is the light of the world. And yes, I know that the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Matthew offer two very different perspectives to two very different audiences. And on this one, I lean toward John. Largely, because of this, largely because history has shown the incredible damage done by leaders who have claimed to be God's gift and God's light to the world. Excuse me. And so, 
with my apologies to Matthew and to you all here, I'd like to rephrase Jesus' words about the light. You are bearers of God's light in this world. Light that illumines paths of justice, love, and peace. Light that helps us all see more clearly, even those things that we don't want to see. Light that brings forth healing and new life from places of pain and death. We ourselves are not the light. God is this light's source, and our calling is to reflect it. So, how would these images of salt and light have spoken to Jesus' followers as they tried to sort out their response to the daunting challenges in the world around them? Would these images have encouraged them to collaborate with those in power? To engage in active resistance against their oppressors? To take the path of separation and strengthening of identity? You know, I don't actually hear Jesus advocating for any of these or for any particular strategy. I hear Jesus advocating for a way of being wherever one finds oneself. This word I find to be particularly relevant as we face the challenges of our times, as we face the abuse of power by political leaders, the rollback of national commitments intended to prevent or at least mitigate the devastation of the planet on which we live, the economic policies and practices that favor the rich and burden the poor, unjust systems that privilege and oppress people on the basis of the color of their skin, their national origin, their gender, their sexual orientation or identity, and the list goes on. What does it mean to be salt and light in a world that is guided by values that run so very counter to God's kingdom ways? We long for change. We long to make it happen. And here, I confess the influence of systems theory in which I have been steeped. <laughs> we cannot force change. Real change, deep change, lasting change, comes from within as hearts and minds and cultures and systems are transformed. The role of salt and light is to be catalysts 
for this transformation. We stir the winds of change as we move toward and engage with, rather than avoid, the challenges before us. We do so, first of all, by being present with and attending to the pain and the confusion around us and within us. We dare not bypass this important step. Second, we work and we work hard at being clear about who we are and what convictions guide us. Third, as we are ready and able, and we may not be ready and able, and if we are not, that's okay. There is grace in this space as well. But as we are ready and able, we stay connected with those who see the world in a very different way and are guided by very different convictions. We do our best to refrain from labeling, demonizing, or doing violence in word or deed to the other. And we keep our eyes open for glimmers of God's light shining, shimmering in places and in people that we least expect. This is hard work, friends. And we need each other if we want to maintain our flavor and keep our lamps lit. We cannot do this work alone. Jesus knew this when he says, You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He uses second person plural. You all, you as a community of followers, are salt and light. This is your identity and calling as a people. Together, your salt more effectively flavors the world. Together, your flickers of flame join together to light the night. Not only can we not do this work without each other, we cannot do this work without the power of God. As we do this work, it is imperative that we ground ourselves in the true source of strength and wisdom and love. We've each been given a way of seeking and finding this grounding, and we need to pursue it. Because without this spiritual grounding, our well-intentioned work and activism all too easily grows out of ego and ego needs and can do more harm than good. And we cease to carry the flavor and quality of light 
that God intends for us to share. Deep spiritual grounding keeps God's flavor and God's light in us fresh and growing. Salt. Light. As I worked with this text this week, it became evident that there is so much to be said and so much more to be said and not nearly enough time to say it. But that's perhaps as it should be. Salt and light are, after all, metaphors. Powerful, everyday images meant to pique curiosity, stir imaginations, and generate ongoing conversation. I wonder, what have these images begun stirring in you? How and where are you being nudged to share God's flavor and reflect God's light? How are you, who are the people that might join you in this work? And how are you drawing strength, guidance, and courage from the deep wells of God's infinite love? My prayer for us all is this. May our identity and calling as salt and light grow in us, that we might carry the flavor of God's deepest longings for the bonds of injustice to be loosed, for the oppressed to be set free, for sustenance to be shared with those who are hungry, for welcome to be offered to those seeking sheltered from the harshness of life. May God's longings salt and light our lives.